This morning, our scripture text comes to us from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, and it will be read this morning by Jessica Williams. Everything has its time. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die a time to plan and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to moon and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sue, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace, the God-given task. What grain of the workers from the trail? I have seen the business that God has given everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, he has put a sense of past and future into their minds. Yet, they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take the pleasure in all their trail. I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done this so that all should stand in awe before him. The word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer together? O God, may the words spoken this morning penetrate deeply into our hearts. May we be moved by your spirit, transformed by your gospel. And may we leave with hearts open to the work that you have called us to do in every season and time as it is fitting. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Recently, I have been listening to um, a book called How the Word Was Passed by Clint Smith. It's a book uh, in which Clint Smith goes to sites of um, racism in our country, sites like Angora, which is the site of the Louisiana Federal Penitentiary, located on a plantation. And he talks about what it is like to be in these places that have seen such horror and suffering. And he talks about the cycles of life. And so that's the space that I've been in as I've been preparing for this sermon. And I wanted to share with you all a quote that opens the book from Toni Morrison on the site, from the site of memory. You know, they straightened out the Mississippi River in places to make room for houses and livable acreage. Occasionally, the river floods those places. Floods is the word they use. But in fact, it is not flooding, it is remembering. Remembering where it used to be. 
there's a seasonality to life. We see this not so much in Southern California, but in other parts of the country when we see the leaves change colors. When fruits and vegetables maybe aren't as available, although again, in Southern California, we don't have these limitations, but where I'm from in the South, strawberries in the dead of winter is not something that you find in the supermarkets. And there's something that is comfortable about the seasonality, the rhythm to life. Today, as we mark the blessing of the backpacks, we are remembering it's the beginning of another season, the beginning of another school year for our kids and our middle school and high school students, for our college students that are getting ready to leave, and for our teachers. God has made everything fitting in its time but has also placed eternity in their hearts without enabling them to discover what God has done from beginning to end. That's from Ecclesiastes 3.11. This first was sort of a rhetorical gut punch, especially during this new season that has been comforting in the past but just doesn't seem to be comforting in the same way now. The times that are described in this in this chapter of Ecclesiastes are parts of life that we often don't control the circumstances. We don't control when it is that we're born, and most times we don't control when it is that we die. We, don't, we may control things that are planted, but certainly the plants do not control when they themselves are planted or when they are uprooted. There are two narrators in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's the opening narrator who sets the stage, who tells us what's going on. And then there's this enigmatic narrator. Um, The translated, transliterated Hebrew name is Kohelet. And Kohelet is the one who is speaking in Ecclesiastes 3. Also is the one who speaks the famous verses that everything is meaningless. Everything is absurd. Life is meaningless. Life is absurd. Not the kind of thing you expect somebody to preach in a pulpit on a Sunday morning. And that's sort of the tension that we find in the book of Ecclesiastes. This tension between someone who seems to have some wisdom that they're sharing, but also seems to be a little bit unorthodox in what they are saying about who God is and the circumstances of life. So that's where I want us to sit this morning together, in this tension about the cycles of life, cycles that are sometimes comforting and cycles that are sometimes unnerving. Maybe there's no cycle that's more apparent to all of us than this latest surge of COVID-19. We have seen it come and go four times now in our own country. And Maybe this is just me, but it seems as though this surge is out of season. It's not fitting. We had made moves to go back to life as it was. And now we find ourselves in another situation where cases are dramatically rising. Is this fitting? We see these cycles, these seasons come and go, and everything is not going back to what it was before. And I think we're starting to settle into the reality that perhaps it isn't going back to the way it was before. What we knew as a status quo will not be what we see again. And in some ways, this is good. The status quo maybe hindered us from becoming who we needed to become. And we needed something as dramatic as being forced to go to our homes to realize 
those changes that needed to happen. But in many, many more ways, it's caused deep grief. It's come back around and it isn't expected, and that's frustrating and overwhelming and tiresome. For me, when I think back to this time in my life when I was a kid, I loved August and September. I like being able to plan, and I have ever since I was probably five or six. And so I loved this time of year because I got my teacher's schedule from the school. I found out what classes I was going to. I got to go to Office Depot, which is a great store if you love to plan and organize things. And I got to pick out new supplies. My dad and I would go to the grocery store and ask for paper bags, which were not as common then as they are now, and we would take them home and cut them very carefully and iron them so that we can make book covers. Some of these memories are the most treasured of my life. I loved packing my backpack for that first day of school, trying to anticipate what I might need. None of this has changed, by the way. I am still completely this person. And I think you might know this, that anxious, excited sleep right before that first day of school. The new opportunities of the school year buoyed my spirits, even though at the same time I was struggling with anxiety over what friendships were going to be like, because many of these school years I was moving to a new school for the first time. It was a comfort to me to know that the beginning was going to come again so that even if this time it wasn't the way that I anticipated, there was going to be another opportunity. And like I said, I'm still this way. So during my transition, as I've been preparing to leave my ministry at Knox, I made a spreadsheet of the church year and what we tend to do in each month, each season of the church year. The blessing of the backpacks in August before public schools go back to class. Barbecue and blue gas rich in September or October. A way to revel in what we would hope is fall, but it's often 100 degrees outside and we just push through. And then Advent night, a time where we all came together and brought soups and tried everyone's soups and made wreaths and decorated cookies and welcomed the season of Advent. I like the traditional church calendar, even though I didn't grow up with it, because it gives this way to mark time, to keep track of memories, to see the growth and the change in myself and in our community. And so many of my reflections and my own process of saying goodbye has been wrapped up in this project of imagining the seasons of our church over the past 11 years to pass on that institutional knowledge of our community to the next people. But this year, the seasonality doesn't feel comfortable or comforting. The cycles of life and death, of war and peace, silence and speech seem more constraining, more fraught, more inevitable. And perhaps the seasonality is unsettling because I find myself personally in the season of uprooting. And because many of you are in places of tension in those more painful seasons that are described in Ecclesiastes. And so I found myself drawn to Ecclesiastes because 
It expresses both the comfort and the frustration. Comfort in knowing that somehow, in some way, the seasons of life are fitting, they're appropriate, and they're God-ordained. And frustration that the cycles seem to repeat. No matter what changes we try to affect, we don't seem to make that much progress. On my more pessimistic days, we, we see time past before us and time into the future, and we know that the seasons are coming again, and yet we feel bound to patterns from which we don't seem to have much to gain, and death is always the foreboding end. So I, perhaps like many of you, am drawn and repelled by Ecclesiastes, to be honest. There's something about this honesty of the narrator, Kohelet, that resonates and oppresses me simultaneously. And so I'm grateful to teachers who could help me reflect on this. Teachers like our own Anthony Riley, and then the commentator Peter Enns, who've helped me see this complexity of Kohelet and sit in this tension to listen for God's word to me in this season and God's word to you in this season. Ecclesiastes is a book that in our tradition is in the Old Testament, and it's caused lots of dispute, which makes me like it. (laughs) There's not enough information to really tie down who wrote the book, when it was written, and what to do with, as we described already, this unorthodox narrator. And preachers like myself may not want to tread into those waters. So it's not really the subject of a lot of sermons, except perhaps this passage. But at Knox, I've appreciated the willingness to sit, sometimes maybe unwillingly, but you're patient with it, to sit with some of the texts that are confusing or unnerving. I won't soon forget trying to come up with creative worship elements for the books of Leviticus and Numbers. And now Matt's not here, so I'm sure you're watching, Matt, so hello in Michigan. Um, But really, eight weeks on Leviticus and Numbers, that was just... A long time, and there's only so much art you can really think of that's appropriate for worship. But I was grateful to sit with community members who are artists, who came up with beautiful hangings from our arches here, who came up with set pieces for our chancel. They sat with these books, and they were inspired to create beauty, to create images and drama that challenged us and to embrace the funny moments, like many of you remember Chess Stetson playing Balaam's ass in a children's sermon. So today, embracing that historical willingness to sit in the mess of scripture, what does the seasonality of Ecclesiastes 3 point us to today? There's a lot to cover and not nearly enough time. So I want to focus on just the verses in 2b through 5. I'll I'll read them again to remind us of what they say. A time for planting and a time for uprooting what was planted. A time for killing and a time for healing. A time for tearing down and a time for building up. A time for crying and a time for laughing. A time for mourning and a time for dancing a time for throwing stones, and a time for gathering stones, a time for embracing, and a time for avoiding embracing. 
little did we know that avoiding embracing was actually something we were going to spend a lot of time doing this year. The first direction that I sense that we find ourselves communally in a time of uprooting and that you all are soon to begin a season of planting, to end a pastoral relationship of any time, but especially with someone that you've known for 11 years and that I have known you for that length of time, is not a small work for either the pastor or the community. And I'm so glad we've had these past few months the gift of time to uproot, to say goodbye. And last week we had this opportunity in worship to join together in a liturgy of release and farewell so that we can say goodbye to each other formally in worship because the things that we do in worship, they play out in our everyday life. So now I'm preaching to you today, as I said, as an itinerant preacher. I'm not your pastor right now, but I am a pastor that's from your flock. And you have sent me out into a new ministry. And so the next part for you, the planting, will be work. As you engage in fostering new relationships, not just with new staff members, although those will come in time, but with one another. You're going to find new ways to use your gifts and your talents, your abilities to develop in this community. For those of you who are joining us and you've only been watching us online, or you've only been here for just a few short weeks, you're already becoming engaged in the life of our community, and that's been so beautiful to see. I hope and I pray that that continues, and that this opportunity of change and uprooting opens up new and fresh areas of soil for you all to be planted. New opportunities are going to arise because I'm leaving and because that's the nature of church life. So please stay open. Stay willing to be involved and encouraged. I know it's hard. I know it's hard to say goodbye, to form new relationships, to make yourself vulnerable again to new people, to people that you don't know. It's hard. It's not pleasant, and it may, after this long year of everything else going wrong, not be something that you want to do. I get that, and that's okay to say in this space. And I hope that over time, you will find safety and community and life-giving opportunities that come from being planted together. We certainly see together this morning times for crying and laughing, times for mourning, and I know we're Presbyterians, but just go with me, dancing. You all are going to be in that push and pull together as a community, and that cycle may at times be comforting and at times be unnerving. There are two interesting pieces of cycle that I wanted to share with you all as I'm leaving. And the first is that I myself in this time of transition have got to see two people in my life come back around. And those are Alice Valle. I mentioned earlier that she's had to travel to Puerto Rico to be with her family. What most of you probably don't know is that when I moved to California back in 2009, Alice and Roberto, her husband, were the community coordinators for Brian's 
uh, Chang Commons apartment. So I've actually known Alice and Roberto for most of my time in the last 12 years in California. And then, suddenly, she applied to be the children's ministry assistant, and I wasn't quite sure until she came in for the interview if it was really Alice. And then I was like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you again. And she has been such a gift, first as our children's ministry assistant, and now as our office manager. So it's a joy to see that cycle come back around. I also am very keenly aware of the irony that Donna Connolly, who's the person that trained me to do the job of office manager 11 years ago in June, is now coming back for this month to cover for Alice. And what a gift of God to bring people back into our lives and community. And so I lean into that trusting that God is at work in this community to bring about new and beautiful things and to bring some things all the way back around full circle. I hope that in the future I will get to be a part of that kind of full circle in this community. The second area of, that I feel personally leaning into is this idea of tearing down and building up. I think some of you may know that I am moving from Knox to start a new worshiping community in northwest Pasadena and Altadena. And the mission of this new worshiping community with my co-pastor, uh, co-organizing pastor Harlan Redmond, is to imagine what it takes to be a community that's focused on racial reconciliation. And for me, as a white woman from the South, this has meant a lot of reflection and tearing down. Understanding where it is that I come from, what my family stories have been, and how there are parts of me that need to be torn down to be rebuilt in this community. So this seasonality has a personal moment as well for me as I am both uprooting and saying goodbye to treasured and dear relationships with each of you, and also finding ways to tear down and build back up in my own life. Perhaps, though, the most profound direction that I have sensed in this passage is to see this passage in Ecclesiastes as a kind of protest. We talk often about lament, but this is, I think, maybe better characterized as a protest to God, a prayer, summed up something like this. Why is it, God, that you have ordained these cycles of birth and death, planting and uprooting, war and peace? For what purpose? Why do they exist? Because they just keep coming back around, and it seems absurd. I appreciate the honesty, the throwing your hands up in the air kind of frustration in prayer. And my attention was captured by Peter N.'s commentary on Ecclesiastes, and I want to actually take the time to read you a part of it because it brought me to tears in reflecting on this commentary. I think it has something for us about where you find yourself in this tension. Ecclesiastes encourages such honesty, and it borders on simple common sense to acknowledge that we cannot hide our feelings from God, and it is perhaps best not to try. But in order to be honest with God, it is necessary that we be fully honest with ourselves first. 
Never let it be said that theology is divorced from psychology and sociology. How we think of God, what we are willing to say, the questions we are willing to pose are wrapped up in our own sociological identity and psychological frame of mind. If we are honest with ourselves, we may find that we are far less in control of things that we think and we may find a God who is far less interested in being controlled than we want. It's very hard work knowing oneself, but fear of standing out, of not fitting in, of, what, of losing one's social identity is a strong factor. We pull back from full disclosure, true honesty and authenticity in order to preserve our identities for a variety of complex reasons we often act as though everything is fine when in fact all is not well. In my experience, again in Peter's voice, I am sure of many others, and I am sure of many others, that life in the Christian community can sometimes feel like a show. We do not always know one another very well, let alone ourselves, and we are very concerned to put on appearances. To think this way is a great injustice to the Christian faith. It cheapens it as yet another commodity to be controlled and manipulated for personal gain. It ceases being that which gives our true identities to become that which is manipulated, along with everything else, to hold on to our false selves. But the gospel is transformative from the inside out, and so it stands to reason that a failure to be honest with oneself and therefore with others, especially God, is a fundamental barrier to true spiritual growth. The God of Scripture is a no-nonsense God who is not interested in our wearing masks or maintaining well-scripted roles. He is not interested in how together we appear, but in how much we truly belong to him. Books like Ecclesiastes show us how honesty is done. There's a season for everything, a time for every matter under the heavens, a time to sit with ourselves and with God and to honestly express how it is that we're feeling, even when we may not know those feelings ourselves. And speaking as a parent of a two-year-old, there are some deep, deep feelings that we may not know ourselves. And it takes time, and it takes practice, and it takes a whole lot of patience to sit in that space. But it's the season for it. It's the season for that kind of honesty with God and with ourselves. Because that is the work of the gospel, friends. That's the work that Jesus has called us to do. To be able to love our neighbor means we have to love ourselves. And to love ourselves means that we need to be able to say how it is that we feel and what we think to God and to one another in kindness. And that's my prayer for you all. In a season of planting, in a season of uprooting, in a season that we don't know what the future is going to bring, but we know that it's coming back around, that we will find peace and comfort 
in honesty with God. Let's pray together. Oh God, it is sad to say goodbye. And it's hard to lose friendships. It is terrible to have to wear masks in worship. And somehow, God, we trust that you're still present with us behind our masks when we can't see each other well. That you're with us in the, in the saying of goodbyes. That you're with us in being open and vulnerable to new relationships. God, that it is fitting and you have ordained it. And that there's something for us in it. There's growth. And there's a sense of purpose that we may not see in the coming and going of the seasons. But we trust because you are faithful to us, O Lord. And so bless these words, God. May what is of me fall away and what is of you remain steadfast and true. In the name of our Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.